you have your Bibles for just a few moments, I want to direct you to the book of Mark chapter 4, and I am going to read only one verse, Mark chapter 4 and verse number 40. The King James Version said, and when he said unto them, or and he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? The American Standard Version translation of that verse is just a little different but it conveys more accurately perhaps the original intent of the Greek language. And this is what the American Standard Version reads. And he said unto them, Why are you fearful? Have you not yet faith? Have you not yet faith? I want to talk to you for a little while tonight from... These two words, not yet, not yet. Turn to your neighbor and say, not yet. Amen, not yet. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. One of the amazing things to me about the Lord was the crew that he started all of this with. What often is worth your study is to realize that Jesus began this wonderful church with 12 disciples, 12 of them. Of that 12, there was one of them that had bad language. There was one of them that was a doubter. There was one of them that was a devil. And we don't know about the failings of all of the others. But with those 12 men, Jesus launched a church that is still alive and thriving today, of which we are a part. And when I say that, I say that not to excuse or to belittle the failure. I certainly do not glorify bad language. I certainly do not glorify doubting and I certainly would hope that none of us would be a devil. But I know that all of us have our failings and yet we are the ones that he has chosen to use and to build his kingdom upon. So much so that he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he began with such an unlikely crew as those twelve disciples. What I have learned about God and what I have learned about God's working with us is that it is often a very slow and tedious process. That God's work with man is often fraught with 
difficulties and God's work with man is often two steps forward and one step backward. That many times the work of God with us is a work that requires a great deal of patience on God's part. Because there is slowness in progress. How often it is that we are slow in receiving and slow in understanding and slow in responding to Him. Many times the progress with God work in our life is one that works at a snail's pace. And when we ought to get it, we don't. When we ought to understand, we are still with a question mark in our mind. When we ought to have received and responded accordingly, we are still wondering what is going on. And so God has to patiently go back over and over and over again and again and again doing what He does in our lives to bring us to the place where He wants us to be. These disciples that we mentioned just a moment ago and that were involved in the story in Mark chapter 4, these disciples were extremely slow followers. Time and again, He had given them proof of His ministry and proof of His power and proof of His authority and yet, they stumble over themselves and their own doubt and their own fear. When I read this verse a while back and I read the American Standard Version of it, it just leaped out at me that these men who had been exposed to so much and had been a part of so much already were still not where they ought to be. And so when I read that verse, I just went back and I started at the first chapter of Mark and I began to chronicle all the things that Mark said had already happened before this verse even took place. And so I find already that they had experienced demons cast out that they had already experienced someone who had come to Jesus that was possessed of demonic spirits and the Lord by His Word had commanded those spirits to leave and they had gone out of that individual and that person was sitting clothed and in their right mind and they were acting normal and doing normal things. I record and I read in Mark that already they had witnessed the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. A healing that was so powerful that the Bible said that she got up from her sickbed and prepared a meal for them after she had been healed. And not only that, but they had seen a leper cleansed of his Leprosy, the most dreaded disease of the time. Like cancer of our day, leprosy was a disease that ostracized and put you away from your family and cut you off from civilization. 
And yet the scripture says Mark record that he reached out and he touched him and healed that man of his leprosy. And all of a sudden his skin was like the skin of a baby and he was completely whole. These disciples had witnessed the healing of a palsied man whose friends had heard that Jesus was in the house and this friend of theirs who could not come on his own, they got together and they determined we are going to get him into the presence of the Lord. And so they get him on the bed and they carry him to the place where Jesus is only to find that the house is filled and there's no access And you know the story. They climbed up on the roof. They tore a hole in the roof. And they let this man on the bed down into the presence of the Lord. And Jesus healed him and forgave him of his sins. But that wasn't all they had seen. There was a man in the temple with a withered hand. Many historians say that he was a brick mason. He was a man who used his hands on a daily basis and something had happened to cause his hand to be withered and unusable. And in the presence of those who doubted his power and ministry, Jesus commanded the man, stretch forth thine hand. And when he stretched it out, the withered hand was made whole. And he goes on, Mark Uh, no doubt ran out of words, descriptive terminology. And so one verse of Scripture simply says he healed many. We don't know what all that consisted of, but if we go and look at what he's already done, you can only imagine what had already happened before their eyes. Blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, sicknesses in their body had been healed and taken care of, minds that were tormented had been brought back to a place where they were whole and sane and he healed many of them and Mark even went on to say that they heard what great things he had done he had done such marvelous things they had witnessed his power over human disease they had witnessed his power over evil spirits They had witnessed his power even over the hold of death. They had seen him rescue many from danger and death. Their knowledge of him should have been enough. And I underscore the word should have been. It should have been enough what they had already seen, what they'd already experienced should have been enough. The knowledge that Christ was with them and he had done these mighty things should have been enough. It should have been sufficient to calm their fears and cause them to understand that if Jesus said, get in the boat, let's go to the other side, then he meant exactly that. Let's get in the boat and go to the other side no matter what happens in the meantime. No matter what happens from the time you first hear the word of God until you actually see the fulfillment of that word, you just do what God tells you to do and everything is going to be all right. And you would think, that after having seen everything they'd seen and witnessed everything they had witnessed, that they would have gotten it. But they didn't. Everybody say they didn't. 
Mark said, but not yet. His presence there in that boat should have been enough. His word should have been enough. The fact of what he had already done should have been enough to calm their fears, but it wasn't. It wasn't. And so Mark records Jesus' rebuke of them when Jesus said, Do you not yet get it? So here tonight is what I want to talk to us about. I want to talk to some not-yetters that are still among us. Those of us that after all He has done, you ought to get it. We ought to understand it. Those of us who even though we have seen all that we have seen, we often still stumble. And many times we still falter and we still doubt. And we still have fears. When we should be strong, we're weak. When we should be full of faith, we are wondering whether God even knows our address. When we should have all the confidence in the world, we lack confidence. We lack assurance. And we wonder if we're even going to make it. When we should be overcoming. When we should be rising up. When we should be putting some things behind us, we're still struggling with those things in our life. When we are falling short, when we find that God is still working, He's still having to work with our weak faith. He's still having to work on our doubts. He's still having to work on our failures. We find that He's still having to work with us in some area of our life. I'm talking to those who are not yet where you ought to be. After all God's done, after all the mercy that He's shown us, after all the grace that's been extended, after all the love and all the miracles and all the things that God has done alone in your life, but you still don't get it. You still don't have it. When you had opportunity, when, when you should have gotten it, you should have understood, you're still in that quandary at times. And sometimes your heart is still overcome with fear and you still doubt sometimes whether God does care or does love you. Or I'm talking to someone here tonight that you still haven't gotten over that issue in your life. You should have, but you haven't. You should have put it behind you, but you haven't. You should have forgotten it, but you haven't. You haven't. You've not yet done what God has wanted you to do. We have not yet put it behind us. God speaks to the not-yetters. Those who feel like failures and those who feel like a disappointment to God and those who feel like that God could do better with somebody else. Those who feel like they might be better off giving up. God speaks to the not-yetters. And He says, hold on. Because I ain't through working yet. Amen. I know that's not good English, but that's what the Spirit's saying to me. Hold on, son. I don't care if you're still doubting. I don't care if you're still stumbling. I don't care if you're still 
still fearful. I don't care if you still wonder where I'm at. I want you to understand tonight that I am not through working in your life. Somebody ought to lift their hands right now because God just spoke something into your life that you need. God, I don't care how bad you are. I don't care how far away from what you ought to be that you are tonight. You ought to lift up your hands and say, thank you, God, that you have not given up on me, that you haven't walked away from me, that you haven't forgotten me, that you have not turned away from me. Because you are not through working. When we ought to be on our own two feet, sometimes people are still having to carry us to the house of God. Amen. But God said, I'm not through working. So carry them. Bring them. He understands more than you and I will ever understand. He knows even now. And so tonight I come to speak a simple message to somebody. It ain't quitting time. It's staying time. Amen. I don't care how rough the storm is. I don't care how bad the elements look. I don't care what it seems like. I don't care what you feel like. He's still on board. I said he's still on board. You may not hear from him. You may even wonder where he's at. But he's still there. That's just the kind of God that He is. He'll never abandon us in the storm. He'll never leave us alone. Even if we're in that storm, before He gets there, He's still going to come to where we are and let us know it's I. Be not afraid. Don't throw it in. Don't give up now because God is still working even tonight. It's not quitting time. It's staying time. Even when you're not yet what you ought to be. Sometimes I look around as a pastor and I wonder, God, are we ever going to get it? Are we ever, is it ever going to register with some of us what Brother Jay was talking about earlier? That you worship not because of your feelings and not because of what God's doing for you, but because of what you know. Are we ever going to get it? And I, sometimes I get frustrated with myself and I get frustrated with others that you're dealing with and you think, God, surely by now they ought to be able to wake up and smell the coffee. Surely by now they ought to realize how many miracles you've already worked. And yet God just patiently keeps right on going. And when we get fraught with, with fear and doubt and we wonder, God's still right there, steady and going and being and doing and working and never leaving us to ourselves. And, and tonight He speaks to somebody in this building that feels like a failure in your life. And you feel like you are probably the biggest disappointment to God. This preacher came to tell you he ain't through working yet amen he ain't through working yet and he didn't quit in time it's staying time you know what I like about the story of Jesus and those disciples in the storm is that he got in that boat knowing all the time what was going to happen to him a little later on but he got in that boat anyway Oh, God invested in me even when he knew I was going to fail him. 
He invested in me even when he knew I was going to let him down. He forgave me even when he knew that next week I was going to go back and do the same thing and have the same attitude and have the same spirit. He still forgave me even though he knew then that I was going to have the same problem tomorrow or next week or next month. But he did it anyway. He got in my boat knowing all my frailties and knowing what he had in me. God was still willing to invest himself in me even knowing what he had in me. That's the greatest miracle of salvation that I know tonight is that God knowing me like he knows me, he's still willing to love me. He's still willing to invest in me. He rebuked them, but he didn't reject them. And that's a very important thing to remember. When you're struggling with your doubts and you wonder whether it's even worth the effort, just remember that though God may rebuke us at times, He will never walk away from us. He will never leave us alone. I'm so thankful that He showed me over and over and over and has committed to doing it over and over and over. I say, Hughes, you've not got it yet. No, I've not got it yet. God said, that's all right. I'm still, I'm still in the boat. I'm still here. I'm still working. Praise God. And so he puts me back on the wheel and he starts a little more of the process. And he does, he'll do that over and over and over and over and over. Because I am what he has chosen to Use and show to the world His grace and power. Amen. I'm so glad that God has room for people that have not yet got it. Amen. Amen. When I look around and I think about all the mercies and all the grace that I have seen and experienced in my lifetime, I just have to scratch my head sometimes and say, God, I don't know how you do it. Because if it had been me, I promise you, I would have cut somebody off a long... I'd have cut myself off a long time ago. I would have said, you know what? That's a bad project. Dust my hands, wash them, and go on to something else. We do that. How many of us get to a point in life where we've worked with something, we've worked with something, and we've worked with something, and it doesn't work, and so finally we just wash our hands up and walk away and say, you know what? I've got better things to do with my time. But God never does. I don't care how many times I come stumbling back to this altar and I fall down and I start pleading for His mercy and asking for His forgiveness. God's right there to restore and help and strengthen and restore those who have not yet got it. Amen. So don't let the devil beat you down. Amen. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that you're not ever going to get it because God ain't through yet. Amen. God ain't through yet. I remember the prayers of my sweet mother. I remember as just a child hearing my mother pray for the kids and the family. For most of my life, all of us live for God except my oldest brother. Teddy was one of those guys that just didn't look like he would ever turn around. I remember riding down the road with him one day and 
And uh, I'd, I'd never ask my oldest brother about living for God or doing right. And I finally got the courage up to say, Teddy, do you ever think about living for God anymore? Do you ever, does it ever cross your mind? The long silence never looked my way, just straight out the window. He said, Mark, there's never a day that goes by that I don't think about that. A lot of people gave up on him. I think probably some of us might have, but my mother didn't. She just kept praying. Forty years. Forty years. Forty years. Backslidden and away from God. The reason that my mom and dad are even in the church to begin with, and yet for 40 years, my brother stumbled around, made a mess of his life, made a fool of himself, embarrassed himself. And then one day, that God who had been there all the time was able to get him to that place where he needed to be. And I'll never forget, Brother Cox, you remember that day. <laughs> oh, yes. This platform was under construction for some reason. I don't even remember why, but I remember Teddy getting up. I thought he was going out, but he was just trying to get around. And he slipped down and he came down and he knelt here. Then God baptized him afresh in the Holy Ghost, restored him. Amen. On Mother's Day, on top of all of that. What a Mother's Day. What is God saying? God's saying, you know what? I'm not like you. I'm not like you. My patience, my mercy, it's, it's long-suffering and it's gentle and it's easy to be entreated. And he said, I just want you to remember I'm not, I'm not through working. And for somebody here tonight that feels like it, you wouldn't tell anybody else this, but in your mind, you, you wonder if you'll ever get it right. God sent a preacher to tell you. He has a word for those who have not yet got it. And that word is, I'm still here. I'm still working. I'm not through. And I'm not going to give up now. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.